it's not even a matter of not being able to have a different opinion. It's like you can't even ventilate. You can't even show what's on television, what people are saying. Because it makes because somebody's able to then go and say, I feel unsafe and this person needs to be canned. Hello, great to be joining you. My name is Gideon Rosner. I have been the Director of Policy at the Institute of Public Affairs, a uh, free market think tank in Melbourne, Australia, for the last few years. Uh, born and bred in Melbourne. Uh, my favourite colour is blue. <laughs> Does that usually go in your intro? Well, may as well. Why not? Thanks for coming on, Gideon. My pleasure. Great to speak to you again, Delia. It's been too long, my friend. <laughs> I know. How long has it been since January, I think we met? January. In, um, What's changed in January in the world? Um, well, I'm in London. You're in Melbourne. Yep. Was You're it January Melbourne. or was it December? It I was. Can't, a... I can't quite remember. It all sort of blends into one these days when you hit your mid thirties. Mm. Um. But speaking of you being from Melbourne, can we start with how you grew up? Yeah. How did I grow up? Well, as I said, born and bred here in Melbourne, Australia. Um. How did I grow up? Look. I wish I came on here and gave you some interesting story about, you know, I don't know, like our Prime Minister often reminds us growing up in public housing or coming up from the bootstraps. But, uh, look, I I had a a charmed life and a charmed childhood. I had a great uh, mother. I had a father with means. I went to a great school here in Melbourne. um, And really, I I, uh, can't can't say anything less than the perfect childhood. Uh, I guess what changed for me and what set the course of my life the way it has gone subsequently is around the age of 14, 15, I, de- I developed the horrible mental condition that is political interest and uh, fell completely down the political rabbit hole, getting involved in uh, our centre-right party, the Liberal Party of Australia. When I was, you know, on my 16th birthday, I could join. I sent off my membership form because I was the coolest kid on the playground. And then I uh, ended up at Melbourne University and fell into student politics, which completely radicalised me. Uh, and made me into the uh, libertarian anarchist uh, that you know and love today. So, yeah, my uh, my my struggles growing up were all self-inflicted, and chief among those is my uh, pathological interest in politics. As the great Charles Bukowski says, find what you love and let it kill you. <laughs> so how did you get interested in politics? You know, people ask you that. It's sort of a weird affliction, you know, just all of us. It, it's addictive. It gets into your bones. Uh, one day you're sort of a normal, well-adjusted person, and then all of a sudden you're finding yourself enga- engaged and uh, perturbed by the events in the world. You find yourself poring over election results and all sorts of other trivial crap that normal people don't seem to um, be very interested in. But again, it was university politics. You know, it was a real scene. I, I joined the Melbourne Uni Liberal Club uh, when I in my first week of uni. And uh, really, you know, met people who are still to this day my best friends. Uh, became, you know, being the the president of the centre right political club on a campus like Melbourne University, which is quite a left wing place as they all tend to be. Uh, you know, it was it was rough. I got chased around and spat on everything else, but absolutely had the time of my life. I loved being the campus villain. I loved shaking things up, and uh, I, I uh, just 
went from there and, and uh, have, have floated around the political world for the rest of my adult life, uh, whether it be leading the, the young liberals the, uh, in the state of Victoria, where I'm from, the youth wing of the uh, Conservative Party here, whether it be working for politicians in, in Canberra in Parliament House, whether it be my, uh, my current role uh, at the moment, which is uh, as a political commentator, which I'm, I'm liking the, the, the most of all. It's, it's probably the most fun job in politics doing what I do. Mm-hmm. But as a as a fourteen or fifteen year old, what, what like were your parents really interested, or did they encourage you to read the newspaper and then you got into no. it? No, I mean they were they were informed. My old man was a news junkie, so I I remember he would get up every morning, and you know I grew up in the nineties, so he had this little transistor radio, and his alarm would go off at six a.m. and he'd sort of wander around in his sort of you know, half asleep stupor listening to, uh, you know, the, the news headlines. And, you know, my parents were naturally sort of soft conservatives, but not party members or activists or anything like that. I think it was a bit of a shock to the system when they produced a political addict for a son. Um, but, yeah, my old man was a news junkie. I, all he would watch was the news. He'd watch uh, every channel, every edition, uh, which as a kid I found very, very difficult to understand. But, you know, then I got older and I realised, Damn it, most of what I watch is the news as well. In fact, I remember watching, seeing myself one day when I was working up in Canberra, pottering around with my phone in my hand, listening to the news on the radio, and I got to look at myself in the mirror and I thought, oh, my God, I've become my father. So there was always the interest in, you know, current affairs from my parents, but that didn't translate into activism. I was the one who took the plunge and decided to, to get involved and, and, and you know, into, into that world in the way that I have. And at school, did it, I mean, you joked about, you joked about it, but was there any, was it actually hard at all with, you know, you getting more into this and then people thinking that's weird or something or alienating Uh, yourself from other friends? I mean, you know, again, I I, I was a weird kid at the best of times, but uh, no, not really. Look, it was a small school. Everybody got along. Uh, it, it wasn't some, you know, it, it was a small Jewish school, which I loved because um, there was no sport department uh, being a Jewish school. The sports department was a shed that uh, nobody ever went to. So really it was just a small, close-knit place. Uh, people sort of accepted me on face value for sort of the quirky kid that I was. Um, and, you know, I mean, there, there were there were, there was a bit of, you know, interest. There were a few, you know... Lefties in my year, we used to debate and argue and everything else. Uh, but the, best, the most supportive, actually, were my teachers. And, of course, school teachers tend to be left-wing as well. But my favourite teacher was this woman uh, named Mrs. Soccio. She was my year 10 history teacher. And she was a, a, an old, reconstructed Marxist. Uh, you know, as left as they come, but loved me because I loved history. I, that was my favourite subject in school, English and history. And I, I gave her shit and I paid attention um, and she knew she, she would stop classes half the time so we could argue with each other. And the first time she did it, you know, I was sort of a bit cagey. And she said, listen, if you're going to be a right-wing ratbag, you know, that's fine. But bloody defend yourself. Back up your arguments. You know, fire back. And I've never forgotten that. And uh, that's the kind of, again, I, I really I, I had a, a brilliant upbringing because I had supportive people in my life and uh, people that didn't agree with me but sort of appreciated the weird journey I was on. And what were the main views you held back then when you were arguing against this teacher? 
Well, I mean, it was a different time, wasn't it? You know, I think about this a lot, uh, that I grew up, you know, I was born in 87, and I came of age in that beautiful golden, you know, I was a 90s kid, I, I, I came of age in that beautiful golden wedge of time between the end of the Cold War in 89 and the start of the so-called War on Terror in 2001. Uh, but, of course, when I started high school, it was the year 2000. I was in year eight when September 11 happened. So there was a lot of argument about the Iraq War, for example, which I was in favour of at the time. I've since changed my mind, uh, you know, but I fell into the, the old neo-contract neo with everything else, this idiotic idea that the, that the US and George W. Bush could go around the world spreading democracy at gunpoint, uh, you know, uh, it, it was a very different time. So there was that, you know, John Howard was in the lodge, which uh, for the, your international listener, listeners was, you know, uh, our second longest serving prime minister, Senator Wright, uh, was quite a reformer, quite a successful prime minister. Certainly, you know, since we've had a massive changeover of prime ministers, I mean, it's bad in the UK right now, but that's basically what Australia has been dealing with for the last, you know, gee, 15 years or so. But, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a very, very different time. The world is a very different place to the one I, I grew up in, and that, I guess that's weighing at the back of my mind the older I get. Uh, now that I'm married and, you know, I've got a year max until uh, me and my wife are thinking about kids and, and things like that, you know, what kind of world are they going to inherit? Uh, what kind of future are they going to have? It's, it's uh, you know, you talk about how you grew up. Uh, it's 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 going to be uh, a very, very different world we're creating for the next generation. And I guess that's what, you know, if nothing else keeps me going, trying to yell into the void and trying to, uh, trying to be a voice against the, the cascading madness we're seeing these days, just the loopy end of time stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, let's come back to all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I just really want to understand what, like, do you know, for example, you're already as a 14-year-old 14 14 seeing, like, okay, these people have left-wing views. Like, what yeah. made you think, what was it that made you think, like, Marxism isn't the way to go? Yeah, well, it'd be, again, people ask. It's a bit, I guess it's a bit like going through puberty, you know, and, you know, noticing girls for the first time. You know, all of a sudden, you know, just a weird sort of alchemy takes over and you start thinking about these issues. And it, it, it goes a bit further than that. I... I uh, when I was younger, I used to watch a panel discussion show called Beauty and the Beast, which your Australian listeners might be familiar with. It was a wonderful show. It was on daytime TV. I watched it when I was school in, in the school holidays when I was 12 years old. And the premise of it was that you had a panel consisting of all female celebrities from Australia, and they were the beauties. And the Beast was this right-wing talkback radio shock jock. This is, you know, and the whole show was just this right-wing bastard, uh, you know, arguing with all these women. And when I was 12 years old watching the show for the first time, that school holidays between primary and secondary school, it was the first time I'd ever heard opinion. You know, I'd heard facts, I'd heard feelings, but I'd never heard opinion. I, I guess that left a, a mark on me. And the, I guess the other issue that, um, you know, being Jewish, obviously, that, that I guess uh, awakened me politically was Israel. Uh, because, again, when I came of age politically, it was early 2000s. Ariel Sharon was the prime minister. This was the time of the second intifada, which was a, a campaign of terrorism waged between uh, or by Palestinian militants against you know innocent Israelis. There was a, a terrible terrorist incident just before September 11 where 
a pizza shop was blown up, one that young people went to and all these innocent teens died. And I remember watching the news about what was going on in Israel and the coverage was so biased in favour of the Palestinians, you know, and not that they don't have problems and we can get into all that. And, um, you know, certainly ordinary Palestinian people live in terrible conditions. Um, But what was amazing was that the news coverage overlooked, uh, you know, whether it be the ABC or even Channel 9 and things like that, they overlooked the fact that these were terrorists targeting innocent children. And as a, a, I guess that was a, a big... Uh, I guess that was a, you know, the, the, you learn at a certain age that grown-ups can be wrong and that not every grown-up knows what the hell they're talking about. And watching this coverage, I'm like, how can, how can news programs be so dishonest about this or, or ignorant about the situation in Israel, the, 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 the threat of dying every day that, is, that ordinary Israelis go into? So I guess that, that was when I made the distinction between people on the left who swallowed that that kind of you know misinformed garbage and people of the right who tended to uh, be more supportive towards Israel and I guess it grew from there. I, I, one thing I remember is at the time our foreign minister, a gentleman named Alexander Downer, was on. I remember watching him on a news program, and he sort of said, you know, we don't we don't deal with Hamas. I mean, Hamas are. Uh, they all they want to do is push the Jews into the sea. I'm doing a very bad Dan Raxis. Hamas are just a group of terrorists. We don't engage with them. We don't support them. We stand with Israel. I'm like this. These are the people for me. This is a a, a politician, a grown up, actually saying the right thing. So Israel was a part of it. Um, and you know, again, I, my parents were interested. You know, my mother had strong views. She's a, a wonderful woman, a very strong willed sort of a person, and she, uh, you know would watch the news with my old man and tell me how the world worked and, you know, why uh, socialism was a lousy idea and why the free market was good. So there were, there were elements of that. But really fundamentally it, uh, it, 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 it made sense. It clicked. The, the idea of personal freedom, economic freedom, uh, the idea that the family is the best well, uh, social welfare system you'll ever have, uh, and yes, the idea that, you know, I've changed my mind a lot since. This is when I was a teenager. But the idea that, you know, America had to be strong and police the world and keep us all safe. Uh, I've, I've rode back on, on those sort of um, notions. But fundamentally, the, the belief in the free market, free ideas, free thinking, free individuals, uh, that's remained even as I've gone from being sort of a an unsophisticated young conservative type to being really a, a, a quite a radical libertarian. Mm-hmm. And what's led you to wind back your views on the US? Oh, well, the US, well, the world. I mean, I still admire the US and love the US. I don't think it has long for the world. I think there'll be a civil war by the end of the decade. Um, but uh, what I have, but, the, but again, this idea, this George W. Bush era idea of the fact that, you know, the best thing for the world is for the US to just bomb the living shit out of every con- any country it feels like and just install democracy in, in countries where, you know, Democracy is wonderful, but you can't spread it at gunpoint. And I think that, you know, looking back, the war in Iraq in particular, that military adventurism was the death knell of the United States. They spent all the, the tr- billions, if not trillions of dollars, uh, not to mention the, the thousands of tragically lost young lives, you know, boys, 18-year-olds, who went to throw themselves in front of bullets for these exercises. Um, but, the you know, the, the, the money they spent on those wars... Unsuccessfully, I might add, they didn't win any of them, 
has crippled them. I mean, the, the, the US debt is now reaching fever pitch. It's, it's, it's not funny anymore. And uh, when you look at, by contrast, China, uh, one of my favorite commentators says, you know, the, the problem with the world is, or the problem with the US is the business of China, the business of America is war and the business of China is business. And uh, I think that's led us to the, the diabolical geopolitical situation we're in today. Going back to um, Israel and Palestine, that mm. time you were talking about, was there a different conversation going on at your school? Or no, it was a Jewish in- school. <laughs> it was, no, but I mean, that's was- what I mean. With So... Yeah. Or at home, like for you to say, hang on, I know another version of this that I'm not hearing on the news. Um, well, I mean, yeah, well, look, it was a, it was a pro, obviously a pro-Israel school. Uh, you know, I grew up learning Hebrew. I still speak it, uh, you know, not fluently completely. But, you know, when, I'm, it, when I go to Israel every once in a while and I have a few drinks, it's, it, it comes back pretty strong. Um, but... Yeah, I guess that's the culture shock. And a lot of Jewish kids go through this. They grow up in a Jewish school. They learn about how wonderful Israel is. And then they get to university and their first day there, there are these lunatics with shaved heads and, you know, tattoos and all sorts of other things uh, saying Israel is an apartheid genocidal state. And, you know, I remember when I got to uni, the kids I knew from school or whatever, I was like, can you believe these people? I'm like, yeah, you know, this is how some people in the world think. I was ready for it and I was ready to fight these people. And... When I joined the Melbourne Uni Liberal Club, actually, they, they were the, you know, not, I think, I think I was the only Jew in the club at the time, but they were as strong, if not stronger, supporters of Israel than I was. One of the first things I went to in the Melbourne Uni Liberal Club was, uh, was it was in 2006, it was the Lebanon War, uh, and the trots were, you know, the, the socialists were there protesting Israel, so we counter-protested and went there and yelled back at them and waved Israeli flags and so on. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess... It wasn't a culture shock for me. I was expecting it because, again, I'd, I'd seen news coverage and I, I knew these these people existed who had no idea what the reality on the ground was and uh, didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And 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 I was you know, happy to fight. But by then I had a, a broad range of interests. I mean, Israel was one thing, I guess, growing up. But uh, by then you know, I, 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 I bought the – I swallowed the Kool-Aid, man. I was, a, I was an arch-right winger. Quite possible to the day I die. A what, right winger? An arch, strong, you know, um, red blooded. But again, the, the I guess the complexion of that has changed a little bit. As I said, I'm. Uh, one thing university politics did for me was I discovered libertarianism. The club was quite libertarian then, and uh, you know, I, I guess you know that's what university should be. Sadly, it's not anymore because they're such horrible monocultural Stalinist institutions. But at least back in my day, it was that last time when you went to university and, uh, you know, really refined your ideas and argued and debated and, and, and yelled and screamed. I mean, that's the thing about the wonderful thing about being young and being in university. You feel everything so deeply and to the core of your, your, your bones, your, to your soul. And you just have this, you know, university, you have this beautiful three to five years to just, screen and and discover what you think but of course now uh now you know in, you, you, half the time if you say something that makes someone feel unsafe you're dragged to some sort of kangaroo court tribunal and they discipline you and of course all the stupid stuff you believe as an 18 19 year old is up there on social media forever so it's a very different i i really do despair for kids these days 
because I feel like the experience I had growing up and my political journey, uh, you can get it in a few places, but you ain't getting it in a university anymore. Not not in the way that it was in my day. But I guess every old old guy says that, you know, back in my day. Mm. So with the with the news coverage, do you think that comes from a place of a lack of understanding or do you think as in on the Israel Palestine issue do you think mm. it's just because yeah i it's one thing I, to have stu- yeah i think it look i think it'd be um sort of helpful cuz you might have guests who are concerned about the way you know None of this means that, again, I don't feel sorry for ordinary Palestinian people. I feel deeply sorry for them, deeply sorry. One of the most impoverished places in the world. These are people who've been, you know, some of them have been living in refugee camps for 80 years uh, because nobody, none of their Arab brothers will take them in because the Palestinian authorities, despite getting millions and billions of dollars over the years, hasn't built housing for these people. Um, But their problems are because of their own corrupt terrorist leadership, not because of Israel. Uh, Their problems are because for decades now, it has served the interests of their corrupt leadership to keep their own people poor and angry and ignorant and propagandised. That's the other thing. They are, from from the time you go to kindergarten in these territories, uh, you receive school books or lessons. You know, look up Palestinian Media Watch about, there, there are children's shows where instead of, you know, some cartoon mouse, instead of telling the kids to read or, you know, be nice to each other or whatever. It's saying, you know, we'll become martyrs and kill the Jews and so on. Um, You know, it's a terrible situation in those territories. But this idea that it's all Israel's fault and it's an apartheid state, it's just just completely, it's simplistic and and it's ignorant. Um, And again, you know, growing up as I did, that resonated with me. The fact that people would get it wrong and there was actually, this was a contested issue and I wanted to be on the right side. I guess what I'm asking is, do you think there's any kind of anti-Semitic agenda or some other some other thing going on? Not for the young yeah. people. Young people who are screaming and shouting. That's, um, you know, that or that goes on with any kind of victim, and it's probably a good, you know, people shouting about like Uyghur Muslims or whatever it is. Mm. People, I think it's good that at universities you have people who are saying, hey, there's these vulnerable people. Yeah. Um, and then, as you said, like university is a place where you learn. So you can say, I feel really strongly about this. And, and lots and lots and lots of people, yeah, feel that way that they might not want to, they might not understand the issue, but they just want to say these people are being hurt and I want to. Yeah raise attention um, but for the news to for the news to kind of only show yeah one side like do you think that's just they're not informed they don't actually understand what's going on or is there some kind yeah. of other on the anti-semitism question i mean look there are, there are people who will respond to uh criticism of israel saying it's it's anti-semitism i'm generally speaking not one of them i mean it can be a factor but of course, you know, just because I disagree doesn't mean you can't criticise the actions of the Israeli government or have your views. Um, but I guess the frustration, particularly for a lot of Jewish people, is that, you know, there, there are plenty of 
countries, as you said, you can, China, there are plenty of countries where there are genuine and pressing and grotesque human rights abuses. Look at what's going on in Iran right now, the morality police um, chasing after teenage girls. Look at Yemen, look at you know, uh, Somalia, um, North Korea. Um, I guess the frustration for Jewish people tends to be all these countries in the world doing horrible, horrible things, yet Israel is is, is reviled. It just, it just feels like there's a, there, to a lot of people that there's an element of, of of picking on Israel, and people seem you know some of the time connect the dots and saying, well, you know, we're being singled out. And you know, I can understand where that's coming from, but I think it's it's more a case of um, the cause is very fashionable. I think there's an element in which a lot of people who are radical and on the left do want to, I guess it becomes a bit of a proxy war for the left-right divide generally. I mean, you have people on the right who admire Israel, you know, democratic, free market country, uh, you know, aligned with the US, strong military, has done a very good job at defending itself, very successful economically. Um, whereas people on the left would say, no, that's a, you know, capitalist evil place that's suppressing, you know, minorities. Um, but again, it, it, it derives from from primarily ignorance, and the fact that also that um, the Palestinian leadership, in the main, tends to be very, very good at propagandizing. They they know what they're doing. They uh, they they again they have kept their own people poor and miserable for now almost a century, got eighty years, um, for the purpose of winning international. Well, partly for the purpose of winning international uh, support. It's a very, very sick dynamic, but people don't see that. They just see these people who, you know, they're throwing stones while the other side have tanks. Well, that's true, but they're, you know, nobody wants to worry about their kid going to a pizza parlour and getting, you know, blown to smithereens by some lunatic. That's that's what the, the reality is. Hmm. I guess I'd encourage anyone who's kind of listening to this and who is maybe they want to know more about from a different view to than what they have heard in like mainstream media or something, it would be to listen to Sam Harris's. Have you heard, you know, Sam no. Harris, right? Oh, no, I know Sam Harris. I haven't listened to... Yeah, so he there's, like, this 20-minute um, podcast or audio thing he does. He It was, a yeah, another uh, one of my Jewish friends sent it to me when I was kind yeah. of... Yeah, because I was at Cambridge when this um, latest thing broke out, uh, mm. yeah, between Israel and Palestine. And I was kind of... I Yeah, I was a bit alarmed, I guess, at how it was... Well, I was a bit alarmed at how my Jewish friends were being treated, particularly Israelis, mm. but with just kind of... Oh, yeah. Um, There's no more that. Yeah. And... But I would... I, yeah, I just kind of wanted... Yeah, I just kind of asked people if they were okay and their families were okay. And then the first response... Um, from the Israelis was always like it's such a horrible time for like mm. every you know it's so awful how what it's like for Palestinians and um whatever and like we really want peace um yeah but 
and not in a way that, like in a very genuine way um mm. but then to see these people kind of just really um just yeah not nasty yeah, comments directed nasty. towards them from yeah from yeah. people from elsewhere in the like who aren't from the Israel Palestine region but anyway so I became and then yeah seeing the posters everywhere around campus of like um you know yeah. and boycotting events when the Israeli sorry well you know end apartheid and all that other horseshit you see yeah yeah, so, and then he said, look, I was talking to him about it and his thoughts, and then he was like, you should listen to this um, thing. And so basically it's Sam Harris is explaining. So Sam Harris criticises all, is critical of all religions because especially from a liberal perspective, oh, yeah. some religions are oppressive towards women and etc anyway but he's saying he just explains it that it's like one side um well yeah there's a terrorist organization that wants to exterminate jewish people Mm. and Mm. on the other side you yeah so he talks about the idea of a human shield like it's like would be laughable for an israeli to hold up a jewish child as a human shield because it's like that's (laughs) <laughs> yeah. they would kill that child like that's but, so but again this is what people don't understand you know they see reports you know typically what will happen every four years is the the israeli army will have to go in and, and conduct an, an aerial bombing of gaza uh because uh and that looks bad on the news oh look at these you know poor people living in gaza they're getting bombed or people don't realise that that bombing follows uh, the fact that Qassam rockets have been fired out of Gaza basically every day since Israel pulled out in 2005. Uh, there are children who grow up in nearby towns over the Gaza border in bomb shelters because there's a daily firing of rockets. Uh, they don't re- and they don't realise yeah that the 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 the, the Hamas puts these. Um, their, their weapons installations typically next to hospitals and schools and, and in residential neighbourhoods to use them as human shields. But again, you know, you did the right thing. This is, I, remember, I remember when we first had a drink, you know, all those months ago, I said, you know, your tagline should be think for yourself. Everybody needs to think for themselves. That counts for anything. Do your own research. You know, we live in such a, a, a diabolical age information-wise. I don't know what the truth is half the damn time. Uh, without uh, and Google's not enough because Google manipulates search results. You have to go on DuckDuckGo, and you have to uh, in every issue. Um, you, you really have to do your own research. You can't take anything on face value anymore. So look, people might hear all this and then go off and do some DuckDuckGoing, not Googling, and, and vehemently disagree with me. That's fine, but for God's sake, don't have one source of information. You need a hundred. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess, yeah, I love that think for yourself. That's fully what I'm going for. Um, But the other thing I've added to it is no violence. It's like think for yourself and form your own views and discuss them. Um, You know, I guess that's the point of open debate but civil debate. It's like you're allowed to disagree and please don't go and hurt someone who you don't agree with because that's basically 
that's like the problems of the and that's that kind of when the people think the world politics has become religion for a lot of people you know since sam harris doesn't like religion plenty of people don't but it's left some and i say this as somebody who's you know a little bit um, more religious than i used to be uh since i got married and you know my life's very devout and has been you know reconnecting me spiritually but um, you know, I say this as a broadly secular person, but the problem is people have just replaced their old gods with new gods, whether it be, you know, the climate thing or, or just, you know, politics in general. It's, it's, it's become extremely personal and extremely divisive. But, yeah, I agree. Look, you know, don't be violent. That should be self-evident. Uh, the problem I have is that violence is being redefined all the time to exclude dissenting views so again you know when i was at university it was a left you know it was a kremlin it was a left-wing institution but i could say whatever i wanted it was a university nowadays if i said half the stuff i said back in my university days i would be accused of creating an unsafe environment because words are a form of violence and silence is violence and all sorts of other things so um i agree with you i, I just we just have to be very very precise about what we mean by violence um but uh you know that's it we're seeing political violence these days you know actual violence yeah well i guess it's also knowing like even if yeah some political view becomes your religion it's still it's the same with religion it's like let's please live peacefully people are allowed to have different religions and amen that's amen okay peace and i'm all about it Freedom and peace. Yeah. So what are some of the things you said at university that you don't think would, oh, you'd be able to say? Yeah. Um, oh, the, the, now I'll have to... Um, oh, look, I won't, won't repeat them in this glorious age of social media, but suffice it to say, you know, I was a 19-year-old kid. I was a, a smart-ass. I was a radical um you know I, I i said things that i'd probably be embarrassed about today but nobody tried to expel me um you know you, you had space then to make mistakes and i think that's what we've lost in especially with cancel culture and the treatment of people you know who said a stupid tweet 12 years ago and their bloody career is up in flames we don't give people the space to mature and to um to uh better themselves we just we 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 reach for the cancel button at the drop of a hat it's very very sad uh because we'll get to the stage where nobody says any and nobody talks to each other anymore you know this is people you know i don't tweet as much as i used to but i yeah when i first got into this line of work as a commentator i spent ages on twitter partly as a sort of marketing device but also you know the thing about twitter is as noxious and terrible and vile as it is i mean elon will fix it of course but um but the thing about Twitter is it's actually the one public square we have left uh, because even if you're being yelled at or yelling at somebody else, at least you're hearing a different point of view. We're too siloed. We don't talk to each other. And that's one of my favourite things to do is actually to talk to people I disagree with. Um, but I say to people, look, I, can, I love talking to people who think I'm wrong, but I can't talk to people who think I'm evil. And there are a lot of those who just think, oh, you know, you don't support bloody windmills or something or solar panels. You must want to kill the... And there's, there's a... Uh, people are quick to misattribute motives and assume the worst about people. Oh, you're just a, you know, you don't you don't buy into this climate change thing. You just want to kill polar bears. Oh, you know, you don't uh, agree with, uh, you know, the minimum wage. You must hate workers. I mean, you know, we, we, we don't, we, we assume the worst about each other these days. And, uh, you know, it's not, for all this talk of safe spaces and, 
uh, you know, creating a safe environment and, and diversity and inclusion. We've become in, increasingly intolerant of the diversity of ideas. You know, diversity is about, you know, sexual organ and skin pigmentation, you know, stuff that, that shouldn't matter. And I grew up thinking it didn't matter, but all of a sudden they, they, they all, you know, that's all people want to talk about. Yeah. Well, I guess that's exactly what I'm doing with this podcast is celebrating diversity of ideas um, and showing, but showing it's like everyone, everyone's views are formed from some, like everything comes from somewhere, whether it's like a cultural background or something you experienced Um, and no one, well, I mean, I, that, people would say this is like an extreme view, but I just don't believe anyone's evil. I think everyone acts in, people act in evil ways, and but it's usually can be explained by, you know, some like horrible thing that happened to them. But having a, but that's talking about like murdering someone or something, right? Yeah. To say, um, to have views, <clears throat> to have like a different view for that to be, that's like almost scarier now, right? Like it's literally almost scarier to have someone, like to have someone like you come on here with different views than you hear in the, or you know what I mean, than it is to have, because that's how hostile it's become. Or it feels like, yeah, it feels like it's become like that. Um, it does. People people can't sit around at Christmas lunch anymore half the time because granddad watches Sky News and, you know, his granddaughter has spent, you know, it's on the first two years of an arts degree and thinks that granddad's some old racist and granddad thinks his granddaughter's some sort of, you know, unreconstructed godless hippie. It, it, it is dividing families. And the worst part is there are, you know, there, there are... You know, I'm I'm sort of I guess in the minority of the commentariat in terms of being on the right, but a lot of people agree with me who won't own up to it. Uh, a lot of people saying, "Oh, look, I agree with what you say about you know diversity and things like that," but I just can't say it because the HR department, you know, is pushing our values, and uh, you know, I lose my friends and things like that. But it's funny you should mention, you know, people's views coming out of experience because that's actually something I've noticed. Uh, from the coronavirus saga. That has created a lot of people who are very, very enthusiastic about freedom, who otherwise didn't even think about it. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who who are, who are thinking about politics a lot more closely than they used to because, uh, you know, it's the old adage, if you don't take an interest in politics, politics take an interest, takes interest in you. And every man, woman and child in this country and the UK and in almost every country in the damn world, at least in the developed world, the politics became very, very relevant to them because it, uh, it it slapped a whole swag of incursions into their liberty and a whole lot of pain and anguish and heartbreak from people that they hadn't experienced before from their governments. And a lot of people are now very suspicious of people in power, as they absolutely should be, as they absolutely should be. Um, you know, the, we, we, you know, I mean, I could go on for hours about uh, our system of government and why it's just rotten to the core um you know in in western democracies but um you know it it's there needs to be some sort of renegotiation between those who govern over over us and the governed because 
what happened to us all during Corona was a, a crime against humanity in no uncertain terms. Uh, it didn't work, didn't keep anybody safe, but it showed that what a government can do, even with good intentions, the, the pain and misery it can, it can rain down on its own citizens. And that's resonated with a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, I think when you, so when you gave me that tagline or whatever you call it, um, think for yourself, I, I loved it. And then, but then immediately someone was like, oh, isn't that what everyone, all those anti-vaxxers outside parliament or whatever, isn't that their slogan? And I, it yes. was so interesting how, <laughs> it was so interesting how that became, because that just wasn't so much a thing here in the UK. It's kind of, it's never been polite or just, it's never been a thing to talk about your vaccination status and you never had to show it anywhere or anything either. Yeah. Right. So it, but that divide that, that there really did was a divide in um, Australia where, because yeah, you couldn't do anything if you weren't vaccinated. So I remember even on a beach that one day you had to have, oh, yeah. because there was a competition. So it was like to be on the beach, like you had to be vaccinated, which to people in other countries was really like, quite alarming um but when you're and in well, australia you don't so. but yeah uh, but let's talk about that though because this is this is what's fascinating though you, you think for yourself something that should be you know completely uncontroversial right the, the ultimate motherhood statement make up your own mind be an independent thinker but somebody took issue with that saying oh but that's what um you know those quote-unquote anti-vaxxers bang on about well, yeah, so what what you, you, we, we, we can't think for ourselves anymore. That's a, that's a bad idea. Uh, we have to just accept on face value what the government tells us, what bureaucrats tell us. What kind of, what kind of nonsense is that? Um, but it, it's also a matter of um, we saw that in Corona, which is, you know, oh, you know, these, these ignorant people, they go on the internet and look for information. They just, what, what's wrong with doing research into something you're putting into your own body? I, I got the damn vaccine, and sometimes I wish I didn't. Because A, it didn't work, and B, you know, I think, I don't know how much trouble you'll get in, I don't know what platforms you're on, so I shouldn't go too far into this, but, uh, you know, it didn't work, and there seems to be side effects coming from it and all sorts of other things, but the, 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 that, that was, I think, the, the punctu- that punctuated the whole terrible saga, this scapegoating of anti-vaxxers as if they're, you know, responsible for the world's problems, this, this, uh, and yeah, segregation. It was it was a it's a very dark time, and it's a very very dark precedent. Yeah, and but that was kind of with those. I guess I took an interest more of how do people form these views and what makes someone mm. because I'm just totally not like that. I follow. I just happily whatever. Well, mine yeah. was also. I just wanted to really leave. I just wanted to go to Greece, so it was like, get me that. I want to go to Yeah, so, but for people who, yeah, I just became interested and then I found a lot of people, yeah, it's not like they're some person trying to make, it's not like they're crazy or it's not like they're trying to make life difficult for everyone else. They, a lot, well, yeah, there was some, someone I know he'd come from, a country where the government he'd fled from a country 
where, that had a authoritarian government that was, mm. you know, causing all this harm to yep. its people. So it's like there's a deep mistrust of um, government for very good reason. And then, you know, with other people, there's always there's always all different reasons. But I think this... But that's it's... the thing, you know, that's what I noticed because I, I mean, by way of background, I actually was one of the first people, I, well, my organisation, my think tank that I work for, uh, the Institute of Public Affairs, it was the first organisation in Australia to actually say end the lockdown. We did it when it really was two weeks to flatten the curve, which was hugely controversial at the time. Um, but, uh, you know, so I was really one of the, the strongest anti-lockdown voices in the country. And one thing I noticed was that, Eastern Europeans, anybody who migrated from Eastern Europe or their parents came from Eastern Europe to a person hated lockdowns, whether they be Polish or Czech or Croatian or Ukrainian or anything else, because they all know communism when they see it. And a lot of these people are like, hang on, I left bloody, you know, communism in, in, in Poland or wherever it was uh, because... You know, we had a government that told us when we could go outside, what we could do, who we could talk to, try to suppress information. I didn't come to this a free country to be locked up for 23 hours a day and everything else. So, yeah, it, it, I think there was a naivety among native-born Australians that, you know, much as we want to feel safe, if a government can, can do that to you over a respiratory illness, they can do it for any other reason. And that's the most frustrating thing about all this, that we're carrying on like nothing happened. People are under this mythology that what we did was A, necessary, B, effective, and C, just. And it just wasn't. It just wasn't. Um, but I, I guess to answer your question also, the, the reason uh, one one delineator or one divider among people who are lockdown sceptics and later uh, sceptical about the mRNA vaccines was that um, was tended to be class because people who you know, young professionals who worked in a, in a knowledge economy who could work from home on their laptop very comfortably and, yeah, it was a bit boring and everything else, they tended to swallow all this stuff on face value. People who were not in those sort of uh, white-collar jobs who, you know, some of them living in, in multiple generations of families and in one small house, people who lost their jobs whose kids didn't go to private schools where they could easily learn over Zoom, uh, those people had a very, very different experience. And I think those are the people who have, uh, again, realised that, you know, the government does not always look after you. It tries to, but uh, it, 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 you know, the, what, what's the old adage? Who was it, Ben Franklin or somebody who said, uh, any society that trades liberty for safety will uh, deserves neither and will get neither and will, and will lose both? Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess that was the big difference between because I went to a debate at the Oxford Union based on that. Oh, yeah. That quote was kind of the centre of the debate. And it's like you can freely talk about either side, you know, a really great, entertaining, interesting debate where you can say, argue for the lockdowns and you can argue against. And it's like, where, or, you know, these are, very bright people and they have I think Lord Sumption came is that right no maybe I can't remember anyway but it's like very impressive people and and students and it's very um 
it's like you're allowed to have a different view and you're allowed to respect people with the opposite view and then you can all go and have a drink at the pub later and be friends and that seemed to be like my nirvana (laughs) the best the best of the debates you have at the pub yeah um but i hope i do i guess i have faith well i mean i guess that's what i'm doing on this podcast i'm talking to people who, like, I don't share the same views with and it's showing people it's okay. Because how could you possibly agree with all the views someone else has? First of all, that would mean you have to know in all the intimate details of every thought they've ever had and what they think about things. But also, like, yeah, the idea that the world's becoming, like, sticking with people who agree with you, it's like, to what end? Like... Do you have to have the same preferences what on, like, well, what, yeah, that your favourite colour's blue, as you said at the start? I mean, I know <laughs> I'm just being flippant, but you know what I mean? It's like if you, it's like, oh, I could never talk to someone who's has this view on Israel. It's like, okay, well, what other, you know, what other people are you excluding um, from talking to and, like, to what point? And also what's the purpose of doing that? And is it well, hurting you to to listen to someone who's hurting differently? our society? It's hurting because you know the, the human race cannot move forward without the free exchange of ideas. It's a matter of evolution. If we didn't share, if the first you know Homo sapiens didn't share knowledge about how to build fire or, or the wheel or whatever, uh, we wouldn't have developed. We owe the world such as it is today to the fact that. We've always been able to test our arguments, test, and, and it goes for the science. It's not just opinion, it's science as well. The fact you can test hypotheses that, that uh, our understanding of the world can be challenged by a Charles Darwin or an Albert Einstein. But again, what I'm most disturbed about is this uh, catch cry from the left, and it is coming from the left. Um, you know, I, I try not to pick on people and, and misattribute motive, but it is the political left that is going, uh, jumping up and down about this buzzword misinformation, this idea. And that's what's most disturbing because, you know, back in the 90s we had political correctness, which is, you know, it's not polite to be a racist or whatever the hell. That was well and good. Then sometime in the 2000s it turned into hate speech, Uh, you know, the idea that certain speech could could hurt people and was positively harmful. Okay, that can limit debate, but you can understand where that's coming from. But now we have this idea that certain saying certain things, the very idea that you're saying something, whether it be, you know, lockdowns are bad or vaccines might not be all they're cracked up to be, that could be dangerous. That could be, that is dangerous misinformation. And what that is leading to is is, uh, censorship, the kind of which we haven't seen before. But but people people are being cut off from PayPal. PayPal announced that it's going to find people something like $2,500 US for using for spreading misinformation through their platform or something. I mean, this this is and, and who decides what misinformation even is? Who decides what the truth is? You know, the truth should happen organically. It should happen by us arguing with each other. It should not be imposed by a bureaucracy or an authority or a, or a university or anything like that. Uh, saying you know this is the truth and everything else is is dangerous and therefore illegal or at the very le- least taboo. Uh, that's the most disturbing element of this. And I have to say, the biggest purveyors of misinformation have been the people in charge. The idea, oh, we have to lock down. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. 
you know, the V word will stop it spreading. Well, actually, we find out, no, it didn't. Um, uh, and, you know, I could get into why popular theories of climate change and things like that are, are wrong too, but I suspect we don't have time to get in, to open that can of worms. But, yeah, it, it, it's a very, very frightening time because speaking out, you, you, you get a target on your back and it hurts the people who are targeted, but ultimately it, it hurts the people doing the targeting because, again, it means that we are growing up in a in a in a terrible monoculture where you know our way of thinking about the world is going stale because we are not allowing enough people to come to the table but the good news is today we saw Elon Musk stride into Twitter headquarters i think that is one of the most optimistic developments uh, i can think of right now because if Elon Musk can deliver on what he's promised and, and reopen that artery of public debate turn twitter into a genuine public square with an even playing field I think that that's what we need. That that can that can turn the tide on this stuff. It really can. Mm. I guess with um the hate speech idea, I guess with a lot of this stuff, right? And you can see on Twitter, it really comes back to the intention, I guess. And that's what you're saying if people you'll talk to people who you disagree with, but talking to people who think you're evil. That's because there's a difference between saying this is oh that's another piece really good piece of advice i heard that's don't bother having a conversation with someone who or a debate with someone if there's no chance they will change their mind based on new evidence they not there's no evidence that would make them change their mind then you're wasting your time you won't achieve anything but it can be fun yeah, <laughs> debate for debate's sake is, is fine. But I guess it's as long as you, like, have you ever felt bad that you've um, said something and it's really hurt someone or, you, or you're not aware of that ha- having happening? Or do you think the, att- the intent, because you've never, well, have you ever intended to... Um, hurt someone in an argument um yeah well of course you know i I can i can dish it out and take it i mean that you know this is the thing i'm by saying you know um we need a debate doesn't always mean we we have to you know not every setting is the oxford union and this is this is one thing that i'm really i'm always frustrated about is this um in every every three months or so there'll be something on the news about oh, well, well, there was shouting in Parliament, and it's very unparliamentary. And somebody called somebody of this and then everything else. Look, I don't actually have a problem with 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 sometimes you know some people getting a little bit bit colourful and a bit animated and and yeah, you know, being a bit ferocious. I mean, I because that's just a, that's just a byproduct of passion. Um, you know, it's so have I ever intentionally insulted somebody? Of course, I have. Because you know, I'm, I, I play my politics hard, but you know, I, I guess I've never tried to shut anybody up, and uh, I've never said people aren't entitled to their views. But you know, some people are just some people just frustrate you. You know, I can't I can't pretend to be pure, but yeah. So when I say we should all speak, it doesn't all have to be a polite debating society, uh, and we have to toughen up too because too many you know, people. We, we have to get back to this idea. You know, sticks and stones can break my bones because this idea. Using hurtful language, it's disgusting. It's you know, I mean, grow up. We're all adults here. Let's you know, we can we can 
we can fight and be passionate and, and say silly things that we later regret, but then we can kiss and make up too and get along and respect each other's rights to you know, be wrong <laughs> if we think the other side is wrong. Yeah. Well, I guess there's a difference between criticising someone's point of view than criticising a person who, like, randomly attacking someone for what they look like or something like that is just not very nice. But, yeah. I, I mean, this stuff's also... It also depends on the format and it's like, okay, randomly, like, shouting abuse at someone on the street. Like, that's not nice behaviour. No, no, no. But if you're... We shouldn't be unhinged. You know, yeah. Um, Yeah. But then I guess it's also we get the choice of who we interact with. Um, Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I don't know. This stuff is all... It's all very complicated. But do you think this cancel... Oh, actually, I want to ask you about what you think about Kanye. Yeah, that's a hard one, man, because, um, you know, I love Kanye West. I really do. Um, He's a lunatic, but, you know, we we don't need, you know, just because we need to debate things and talk to each other doesn't mean we all have to be sane or, you know, university professors. I think there's room in the world for people who just say outrageous things. But, yeah, when I see death con on all Jews, that sort of uh, touches a bit of a raw nerve. So, look, charitably, my most charitable way of processing it is he's he's a nut. He says crazy things. That's a crazy thing. Um, but what I haven't actually seen is is that much of his, his, him being interviewed about it. And I do understand he, had a, he sat down with Lex Fridman, who's a uh, Jewish podcaster, and that was actually apparently a really interesting talk so i want to listen to how he's talked about it since uh before i make too much of a judgment but um yeah it's uh, it's not good it's not good and do you think do you think this cancel culture things actually real like at melbourne uni short these clubs surely these yeah these the young liberal club or whatever still exists and you still, you can have different views and you're not going to be, like, deleted from the planet. Well, no, well, no, of course it still exists. But, like, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give you an example, not at Melbourne Uni, but um, there was a famous incident in which there was a, a professor of linguistics at a place, what's the name of it? It was in Canada, Wilfrid Laurier University or something, and this woman uh, actually was presenting a some sort of class, and the topic was the use of gender pronouns. You know, the he, him. You know, call me she or whatever the hell it is. Uh, you know, is this appropriate? And, and she didn't actually have a strong view on it. In fact, I think she agreed with pronoun use to begin with. So she showed two sides of the argument. One was, you know, somebody who said, "No, we all need to, you know, um, be mandated by law to use correct pronouns and all the rest." And the other was Jordan Peterson saying, look, you know, I, I, I don't like this. It's compelled speech. It's a violation of my freedom of speech. Now, as a result of showing that, without agreeing with it or endorsing it, she got dragged to the dean's office. Her job was threatened. Uh, she was disciplined for showing a dissenting point of view. Why? Because some nut in the class alleged that they felt 
unsafe because of these terrible anti-pronoun views. Now, that, 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 so it's not it's 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 not even a matter of not being able to have a different opinion. So you can't even ventilate. You can't even show what's on television, what people are saying, because it makes because somebody's able to then go and say, "I feel unsafe," and this person needs to be canned. I mean, that is that is what is pernicious about this. Whether it's you know, and 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 they'll do the same thing with climate as well. I mean, it'll be very difficult for people like myself to say, actually, uh, you know, I don't think the doom and gloom that we hear out of the Greta Thunbergs of the world is quite on the level, and and windmills are a stupid way of generating electricity in the twenty first century. There will come a time when I will be targeted legally, or at the very least, uh, societally, because we're let climate denial, and by convincing people there's no problem, the polar bears are going to drown, and all sorts of other things. Um, the noose is is tightening, and whether it's again societal exclusion or outright censorship, it's it's a different. We're in a different world to where we were. And are you worried about that? Yeah. For you, I mean, look, for yourself. For myself, um, oh look, no, because I'm I'm in the lucky position where I get paid to have a different point of view. You know, that's what I, I'm. I work for an opera prop where our members, uh, you know, uh, donate money to fund my salary so I can say things that perhaps in a lot of instances they can't at work or at their family dinner table. So I'll be fine. But I I do worry for, uh, again, whether it's young university students or, you know, I, I guess I'm more than worried. I just feel sorry for people, people who have to go off and hear about all these things that they might not believe in from the HR department and can't and feel like they can't be honest and can't actually say, well, I don't agree. I, I just think this is, uh, and, and you know what, it's 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 bad, again, for everybody because it breeds resentment because people will, you know, people will start, uh, you know, for every reaction, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. And if people can't express how they're feeling verbally, then it'll come out in some other way and, and that can get pretty ugly. Mm. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, I guess that is what I am trying to do is to show that people have different opinions. But then it is really scary for me because, um, I mean, talking about some things can be can be scary because even well, we were talking about this on an episode about. Um, this philo- this um, uh, French writer, the 20th century, Celine, who was this. Um... Oh, I love Celine. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, he Louis was Brunet, really anti Semitic. Yeah, he was a nut. I mean, you think Kanye is bad. He was, yeah, well, this is this is the point I make to people. Um, one of my, actually, you know, is in my, my four favorite books are Women by Charles Bukowski, Atlas Shrugged, of course. Uh, the Mandibles by Lionel Shriver and Journey to the End of the Night by Louis Ferdinand Celine. That is one of the best books in the history of literature. All of his books are brilliant. Um, but yeah, the guy was um, not just a, he wrote terrible paragraphs in the 30s about Jews. Not only was he a Nazi. He was a Nazi, yeah, basically. Yeah. He, he, was a, he was a Nazi sympathizer and allegedly a collaborator. Um, and not only that, when uh, after the Normandy landings, when the Allies took back France, he actually escaped France with the, you know, Vichy regime and, and the Nazi sympathisers and hid in a castle in Germany with them. And he wrote a novel about it. And it was 
brilliant, a brilliant novel. So that's another thing that gets bound up in this. Can we separate the artists from their art? And that's, a, that's another thing that's really, really disturbing, which is we, we are scrubbing great art out of our, uh, our world because the, the people that um, created it happen to be assholes. Well, artistic people are generally assholes because to be creative, you have to have something wrong with you in most cases. All the great writers were drunks. So Celine is a great example. Um, you know, I think I think fundamentally he was just a misanthrope. I think he just hated everybody. But you know, as is often the case, Jews were particularly a sore spot for him. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you brought up Celine, man. I uh, have you read Journey to the End of the Night or any of his books? No, I haven't. I hadn't heard oh, I about Journey. Him. It is it is one of the most gloriously. Uh, it is it is the misanthrope ma- ma- manifesto. It is one of the most dark, wonderful addictive just it's just pure venom from somebody who just uh hates the world and himself um but in all of that is just brilliant writing just one of the the very very best and hugely influential too i mean if we cancel celine we are missing out on uh somebody who contributed a lot to the modern novel so again we're really hurting ourselves with all of this stuff we're not hurting celine he died in like 1980 or something we're hurting ourselves because we are we are burning we are metaphorically burning books, and and cutting ourselves off from things in the past and, and ignoring complexity, as well. I mean, people are complex. History is complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean we. You know, I, I was watching. Gee, what show was it? Mad Men the other day, and it was on Disney. Uh, it was on Stan, and. There was a, a scene in which it was set in the sixties, and a scene in which one of the characters was doing blackface. And there was this whole disclaimer up front saying, "We have thought long and hard as to whether we should uh, censor this scene and pull it, but we have decided to leave it in to start a conversation." Like, what, what, what does that say? We're 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 going, we're picking. You know, everybody in the twenty first century knows that blackface is a pretty disgusting thing to do. We don't need to agonise over whether we 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 acknowledge it ever happened. Um, we don't need stupid disclaimers like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's in vandalizing, but this is what we're doing. We are committing great vandalism in the name of, uh, of, of, of 21st century sensibilities. It has a real, you know, error of year zero to it, which I, I find very difficult to, uh, to come to terms with. But maybe we do need, maybe a disclaimer like that is, um, helpful rather than just cutting it like for example if you watch um if you ever find a middle eastern airline they'll just cut scenes out that are you know gay sex scenes for example they will um, preferable that we have a disclaimer but i think the disclaimer is just patronizing insulting and and, and unnecessary but maybe maybe it's helpful i don't need stan to tell me that blackface is is a revolting thing to do i know it's a, but, it, but it was the reality. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, it's a small issue, and you're right, it's better than just cutting things out. But the, the fact that they, they entertained the idea of cutting it out, I guess that's what gets me. Because it did say something to the effect of, you know, we have considered this deeply, and rather than censoring it, like, what's censoring it? For, you know, what the hell for? <laughs> you actually entertained the idea of censoring a, a, a TV show because it had something problematic in it? And where do you draw the line? You know, it, it, it's if nothing else, we'll end up with really lousy art because it can't. You know, art is provocative by its very nature. It's supposed to offend people. The best art is controversial. That's its 
job. If art was there to make you comfortable, it would just be like wallpaper. Nobody would pay it any mind. But that's the thing. We're losing any sense of, of, of controversy. It's, just cre- it's creating boring, monocultural crap. Well, I think that's maybe this is some um, advice Peter Credland gave me, actually, who I met shortly Great after I met know. you. Um, she said that if someone, if you're speaking to someone who, and they say something that you don't agree with, that's fine, but it's important to say that you don't agree. And so maybe mm. that's what this whatever TV show they are saying, here's something we believe, you know, that art and whatever, and we're not going to censor yeah. it, but we don't agree. And that's probably what I have to get better at practising on here and maybe, yeah, I... But well, I, you, but you I, don't agree right now. The, world, the sky hasn't fallen in. You know, that's what conversation yeah. is. Well, I guess it's a minor thing, but the fact that the fact that they even entertain the idea of censoring things because you know something makes people uncomfortable—I mean, God, again, I would much rather be confronted with things that make me uncomfortable than being bored out of my mind by bland crap, which is unfortunately uh, you know what happens most of the time. Because again, you know, you say the one wrong thing as an artist or present something that is a bit controversial, and uh, you can't give a platform to that people to spread hate. And blah blah blah. I mean, we we are overestimating the impact of. Again, we have to get back to the sticks and stones things. I'm sorry, you know. I know, you know, when I grew up, there was this idea, you know, in school. Oh, that's wrong because words can be hurtful, and of course, you shouldn't verbally abuse people or, or, or deliberately torment somebody verbally. But this idea that words are like bullets, and we have to, you know, have speech codes and things like that, it is. It will do a lot more harm than good in the long term. A lot more. Yeah, well, because it's like who comes up with the speech code. I think that's why it comes back to intention. It's like I, Mm. on this platform, by having people with different views, I'm not trying to spread hate. I hope I would never... Yeah, I don't want anyone to come on this platform who's trying to spread hate. And people who have different opinions, that's fine. Like, I don't agree with every opinion of everyone. And that hopefully that's just obvious right but it's like because that's the scary thing as well the implication thing which i think is what you were alluding yeah. to right? just by oh and that's what i was saying with celine that it's like oh my god are we even by talking about someone who was a nazi sympathizer is that going to are people now going to ask if i'm anti-semitic or something yeah it, like it becomes yeah. it just it becomes so confusing because then it's also, oh, yeah, because that was another thing I shared in my newsletter, the poem If. and oh, By Rudyard Kipling. Yes. And then I, re- oh, I was like, oh, I, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I better do, I better like find out who this guy is, whose work I'm sharing. And it's like, oh, he was also this awful anti Semitic. So it's like, what um, people were back then. It was a different time. Doesn't make it right, but you know that was the reality. You know Walt Disney. You know the, the list goes on and on and on. That's the great irony that Disney Plus is is you know hell for leather on all of this stuff. They're one of the wokest corporations in America. Well, <laughs> wonder what, what Walt Disney must be turning in his cryogenic uh, freezing tube over uh, over that because he wasn't you know a nice guy either a lot of the time as I understand it. But yeah, but why should you have to do due diligence on Rudyard Kipling? 
It doesn't matter who the hell he is. If you like the poem, that's all that should matter. It's the art. It is the art. You know? Yeah. Uh, artists are assholes. Creative people tend to be assholes because they, to, to see the world differently, you have to have a screw loose. You know? Mm. Anyway, Muddy, I have to jump off in, in the next few minutes, but uh, lightning round, what else you got for me? Yeah, the last three. Well, you already said the books. Um, because one of yeah. the questions, the last three questions are always, what's the, what, which book had the biggest impact on your life? Maybe if you okay, pick well, one of them one, and say I why. Four. So I mentioned, uh, I mentioned the four that are my, I would regard as my top four. Again, Women by Bukowski, uh, Journey by Celine, uh, Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand. But the one that's probably had the biggest impact on my life, uh, was, um, a novel called The Mandibles by Lionel Shriver. And this is something I read at the start of lockdown. And it's, it's a near-term dystopian novel. Uh, Lionel Shriver is a, a famous novelist, tends to be, you know, sceptical of wokeness. She wrote, we have to talk about Kevin, but The Mandibles was a, it's set in 1929 in the US and it envisages, envisages a situation in which the US defaults on its debt, uh, inflation runs out of control and the society basically collapses and people are thrown into gut-wrenching poverty. But it was so hauntingly realistic I, it, 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 it haunted me. And this was at a time where we were actually kicking people out of work, suppressing production and borrowing money to pay people effectively not to work. We, Australia was heading towards a trillion dollar debt. The US, you know, printed, I think, half the money that it's ever printed ever during Corona. So I thought of this book, I'm like, oh my God, inflation will be a real issue, you know? Um, and that's when I started uh, buying Bitcoin. Um, and... Uh, and that's changed my life, not as much as I, uh, you know, wanted to just yet because we're in a bear market. But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, so. Yeah, I, I would I would recommend all four of those books. But to get an, a handle on why we are seeing inflation, why the economy is uh, disintegrating before our very eyes, read the Mandibles by Lionel Shriver. It is uh, it is a, a it is the most important novel of the twenty first century, bar none that I've read anyway. Um, okay, next question. Do you... Well, I guess we didn't talk about any... Vulner... Most people come on here and talk about um, vulnerabilities or kind of obstacles they had to face and overcome. Um, and then, so I always ask if people have a meditation practice or a spirit... I guess you uh, alluded to spirituality. So do you have any daily practices you do that not, help keep not you especially sane. um I'm, I'm again i'm a bit more spiritually inclined than, than i was um you know in my single days but uh, one thing i do actually and i go up and down with this positive thinking idea um you know I, I believe in it but it's it's hard to control your thoughts because that makes you crazy but one thing i picked up a while ago which i do here and there is uh i think there's a, a line in alice in wonderland which is you know you have to think of seven impossible things before breakfast so, you know, sometimes when I'm walking to the tram, I'll think of seven things that, uh, you know, going from, you know, ordinary things like, uh, you know, getting a decent park or something or, uh, you know, getting good feedback on a piece of work or landing a good interview up to the absolutely impossible, like, you know, being worth $88 million, you know, and winning a lottery or something. But, uh, yeah, think of seven things that uh, may seem impossible or, 
you know, ambitious and and think of those, and then go and release yourself into the day. So I'm not I'm not the biggest affirmations, meditation sort of guy, but that's one you know fun little exercise because you get to just spend you know the first moments of your day in that beautiful space where you know, nice things are happening, and then you get on the tram and think, okay, well back to reality now. Now what? <laughs> nice. Okay, last one. Um, unless there's anything else you wanna you wanna add that you haven't said yet. In general. I'm good for now. What's the question? Okay, the question is what three words describe the person you wanna show up as every day? I, I wanna what? You wanna show up as in the world. Like the ideal version of you. Um ideally, uh well I'd say kind. Um I think everybody should be as kind as they can. Uh, and yeah, I'm a combative person and I don't, I'm far from always feeling, living up to that. I can, I have an acid tongue. I can be unkind, but you know, you should try to uh, be a decent person just as a general rule, uh, honest uh, because life's too short to um, trade in horseshit and to not say what you really mean. Um, and uh, thirdly, um thirdly um thirdly 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 what do i want to show up as kind honest uh and um oh i guess impactful you know nobody wants to feel like their life doesn't matter you know somebody you know i was talking to uh my rabbi actually uh, a little while ago just about how things are going and you know uh, what I'm going to do next, uh, you know, with my life and all the rest and, you know, existential issues. He said, look, stop thinking about what you need and think about what the world needs from you. And I think those are good words to live by. Nice. Great one to end on. Yeah, it's been fun. So much fun catching up. When are you coming to Melbourne again? Um, Maybe in January. I... Yeah, love cool. Australian Open time and that time of that time of the year. Good vibes. Oh yeah. We'll see if Novak can play the next time. Yeah, interesting. Excellent. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Delia. Um, no, really, well done with the show. Um, you know, it's it's really really important, and not enough people are doing it. So all the strength to your arm. Thank you.